There were plenty of times, especially in that first term, where I would call Russ, my husband, and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm doing this. I am so out of my league. I'm uncomfortable. I'm dirty. I'm wet. (laughs) And I know I need to be here. Do you ever feel like a hamster on the treadmill of life? Welcome to She Walks the Walk, a movement I started to help women lead more inspired, more authentic lives. I'm Sam Plavins. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Walks the Walk. Any reinventors out there? Anyone? Come on, don't be shy. Today's podcast has me jumping out of my chair. And I probably shouldn't do that because the air conditioning is on the fritz and it is a bazillion degrees in the studio. But here we are. If you have come to hear about reinvention, you're in the right place. So buckle up. For context, I am in the 18th month of my own midlife reinvention. I am, how old am I? 47. Yeesh. (laughs) And here are some stats, just again, for further context. I left my financial services career after 16 years in January of 2020. There had been something nagging at me for a long time, but I only grabbed the courage to listen to that voice after walking the Camino Frances in Spain in 2019. And in case you're unfamiliar, the Camino is an 800-kilometer pilgrimage that attracts seekers, athletes, old and young people alike from all over the world. And fortunately, it propelled me in what I like to say is the direction of my dreams. Essentially, I walk my way back to myself. And I am now pursuing what I believe I am meant to be doing on this earth with the skills and interests and and talents that are authentically my own. So fast forward to the creation of She Walks the Walk and my idea to lead women on epic global walking adventures, far away from the incessant chirping in their lives on paths tailored for self-discovery and growth. I I hope that that gets you excited, because that's what I'm going to be doing. (laughs) Cue the pandemic, and no, I did not see that coming. But guess what? I'm not here to discuss that narrative, because I'm tired of it, and things are starting to look up. What's been most interesting for me over the last year has been the joy and serendipity in meeting other women who are also staring down the barrel of their own midlife reinventions. Some of you have written me these beautiful, vulnerable emails. You've got one foot out the door already, but you just can't bring yourself to make the change. And I feel this on every level. I just want to tell you that. But if you're looking for support, you have found it. There are definite pressures that come with starting over, like security and money and modeling the kind of behavior your kids would be proud of and the time factor How long is it even going to take for you to know that your 180 was worth it? How will you measure success? And I'm here to say it's not easy, but it is definitely worth it. I will be sharing more of my story in a future episode, but today is all about Kate and her journey. Can you imagine reaching the pinnacle of your career, let's say CFO somewhere, And knowing in your bones within two days of accepting the offer that you'd made the biggest mistake of your life. Kate Ming's son was a brilliant accountant who had made it. But something inside her felt empty. 
And what we share is the desire to tune into that little voice when it begins to get louder. What is it saying? Am I supposed to be doing this for the rest of my life? Is this it for me? Why do I have this nagging sensation that something is off? It would take a whole slew of serendipitous twists and turns and her own curious exploring for Kate to end up leaving the world of finance to establish the Quiet Guiding Co., a complete departure from the world of numbers and precisions and deadlines. This was the world of the outdoors, or as Kate says, where adventure meets intention. I am breathless just thinking about it. So this is Kate's story. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the podcast. We are going to talk about reinvention today, the journey of reinvention. And I'm very excited to have Kate Ming Sung on our podcast. And welcome, Kate. Thank you very much for having me, Sam. I'm happy to be here. I just, I love that you're reporting to me from a room that says so much about what you do. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. We will jump straight to it, but I like to start out with an icebreaker. Sure which essentially is the easy bits, you know, what is your name? How old are you? Where do you live? And then three very random facts about yourself. And they can be completely like just whatever. All right. And so I'm Kate Ming-Sen. I am in Toronto today. So I've been in Toronto for most of pandemic times. Ordinarily in non-pandemic times, I split my week between Toronto and the Ottawa Valley which we can talk about a little later. Mm. Uh, Let's see. I am 43 years old and three random facts. I were talking kind of early in the morning, not really early for me, but early enough. And I don't, (laughs) (laughs) it's early. (laughs) I don't function well without coffee. Everyone knows this about me when we're out and about or even at home. So no one talks to me until I've had my first cup. I have had my first cup this morning, so I'm good to go. Uh, What else? I have four tattoos and I learned how to canoe on my 35th birthday here in Ontario. And I am a November baby. Little chilly. Okay. I have to just make a couple comments. Um, First of all, thank God we are soul sisters with the coffee thing. Like nice. there is a do not disturb sign on my back until I've had it at least I just at least need a couple sips and then totally yeah I and then I life. can like get rolling yeah yeah a hundred percent and so are you a Scorpio I am early November oh nice <laughs> you too okay well I know but I have this is this is a random fun fact about Sam I have weirdly only ever dated and ultimately married a Scorpio are you a July baby by any chance? No, okay. I'm, a Ca- I'm a Capricorn. And um, I just look back on my relationship history and I'm like, oh my God, they're all late October, November people. That's <laughs> awesome because my best romantic relationships have been with kind of cancerous July babies. It's funny how that ends it up working is. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, and I don't really subscribe to all of that, but I was going to say, I know you're kind. Yes, <laughs> <Because exactly. I'm... laughs> you know, you know, it's a lot of averages, but you know what our yeah. personalities are like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. I think I want to start by letting our listeners know, how did we meet and mm. why does it matter? Mm-hmm. So... I went on a little walk a couple of years ago. Just a little one. 
just, <laughs> just a little walk. Bye guys. I'm going to go for a walk. Um, it was the Camino de Santiago in Spain and I'd been walking on my own for probably eight days, just kind of like, Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm a bit of a hermit and I'll just keep walking on my own. And then one day I saw this little gang of people ahead of me and they all had Canadian flags sewn on their backpacks. And I was like, Ooh, it's a beacon calling me home. Yay! And I realized, okay, first of all, not only are these people Canadian, but they're a family. And I was obviously awestruck by that because I immediately thought, oh, my kids could come and do something like this with me. Mm. And yada, 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 a guy named Ken took me under his wing. And bless him, he's from Toronto, um, Ken and his wife Renee and their two kids. And we, we kind of hung out for a couple of days and he heard my whole, oh, I'm thinking of leaving my career and I don't know if I'm having a midlife crisis. And then he's like, I have someone <laughs> that has kind of a familiar story and you should reach out to her. And here is her name. And so I'm now passing the ball over to you. Sure. So I think, I don't think Ken messaged me from Spain. <laughs> no, no. I think he messaged me when he got back to Canada. Um, but he did. He uh, introduced us via Facebook Messenger and said, you two need to chat. You've got a very similar story. Now, Ken is my husband's oldest friend. They've known each other since Cub Scouts, which means we're looking at roughly 40 years. And whenever <sighs> you are friends with Ken, if you are related to that friend in any sort of way, you also get tucked under his wing. <laughs> mm. So Ken and I have met up for coffee when I was doing my career change. Um, we've talked lots since then. We've got a common love of the outdoors and he is the great connector. That that one connection is one of probably thousands he's made over the course of his lifetime, if I had to guess. I he's love awesome, that. Awesome guy. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. And it's so interesting about life. You know, you can serendipitously meet someone on a path in another country and they can connect you with someone they know and all of a sudden you can feel far less alone in the world because this is actually a, a great segue so why don't you take us back to the world that you were living in prior to what you're doing right now and, and the, so the punchline is you run a company called the quiet guiding company I do and uh I'm very excited for you to dish about that, but just take us back to, I don't know, 15-ish years ago, where you were, what you were doing, and that moment you had that hit you upside the head. Mm, absolutely. So let's say, let's do 16 years ago. And so 16 years ago, I was in Boston working for Fidelity Investments after a few years in the public accounting world. And I should probably mention for all your listeners, I am American. I grew up in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. And then I went to university in Boston and stayed after school as one does. Uh, and I was working on a project with Fidelity Canada. 
and a maternity leave contract opened up and the folks in the finance department here in Toronto said, hey, we really enjoyed working with you. Would you be interested in coming up for a year and just filling in on this contract? And I said, yes, please. An adventure. Exactly. I was bored out of my wits in Boston. No, no offense to the team that I was working for there. It was just not a great fit at that point in time. Um, so I moved up, moved up to Toronto. Now I should probably mention, I should probably mention how I got into the business world in the first place. I was a pretty outdoorsy kid. My folks were in education. My dad's a, a retired high school math teacher. And I watched him work three jobs over the course of my childhood. He'd do his high school math teaching thing. Uh, he would teach night school at the local college, and then he'd teach night school at the local community college. So he was, he was gone a lot. Like, Good Lord, like, man, he works a lot. And holy cow, how does he manage to explain this really complicated math idea 10 different ways so that 10 different students get what they need out of it? Like, I don't know how he does that. Teaching is not for me. And I'm going to go into business so that I can make money and I don't have to work three jobs and 100 hours a week. Ah, okay. We're getting to the heart of the motivation. Yes. Yep. Of course, you go into public accounting <laughs> during busy season, tax season. You're maybe not working 100 hours a week, but you are working a fair number of hours a week. So joke's on me. Um, so I, anyway, I moved to Toronto. I'm now working for financial services. And I would say... I don't know, a few years in, probably a good five years in, hmm, there is a little voice that's starting to get a little louder in my ear. It's like, why are you doing this? I had a great team. I had supportive bosses. I had really no problems in the world in terms of like getting the work done. It was interesting. But there was a little voice that said, there's something else out there. But that's hard to figure out what that something else is when you graduate with a degree in finance, go get your master's in accounting and pop out expecting to work in public accounting or an accounting department or a finance department. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a defined career path there and you don't really think about what else might be out there in the world. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I just, I quit without really any other <clears throat> line up, not no safety net really, other than the fact that my husband was working at that time. <laughs> so you pieced out and you were like, I know this isn't it for me, even though I went to school for all of this, even though I'm in this successful career, even though, even though. Yeah. That that's though. a a big deal. Like, you know, a lot of people leave careers or they leave jobs or make a pivot to go to something very specific that's waiting yeah. and either it's lying in wait or they know clearly how to go and get it yes and you just said I need like I don't want to put words in your mouth I, did you recognize that you wouldn't be able to figure out what this voice was saying unless you kind of left the insanity of that of that world and a bit of the golden handcuffs as well, right? So it's a well-paying job. It contributes to my RSP. I, I needed to step away from that and away from that comfort level um, to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Mm. So I took a summer. <laughs> 
I did and I asked a bunch of questions <laughs> of myself and of others. Started doing informational interviews. I talked with um, I talked with people who are doing organizational development. I'm like, oh, maybe I just mean, you know, something different in, but within corporate North America, like just a different department. So maybe I, I want to do something like the education side of training people, getting them on board. So I chatted with them. I chatted with my old finance professor um, about possible PhD programs and organizational behavior. I really liked the people side of things. I think that's what I was starting to realize. I just gathered information, gathered information, gathered information, and partway through the summer, an old colleague of mine, or actually, I guess an old classmate of mine said, hey, um, this accounting firm in this network that I belong to of accounting firms is looking for a chief financial officer. Ooh. Mm, chief financial officer. Wow, that sounds really important and like a really big title. And hey, isn't that what most finance and accounting people work towards? Sure, I'll talk to them. It's a big deal. <laughs> it is. So I did. I, I chatted with them, uh, with the partners at the accounting firm. Um, I guess I interviewed twice and they hired me pretty much right on the spot, which is um, awesome. It was a really big boost for my ego. And I jumped in two days in. I was like, oh, this was a big mistake. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it was it was a really big mistake. And it was for a number of different reasons. A, I should have just, now I know, I should have just listened to my gut. I, I knew I was looking for a change. I should have stuck with trying to figure that out easy to say that 2020 hindsight. Um, but there was also a lot of conflict going on in the firm at the time. And so I'm a little on the conflict averse side of things. So it was mm -hmm. tough for me mm -hmm. to manage. So it was an uncomfortable environment for me to be in. Maybe if it had been a different sort of environment, it would have been fine. I would have ticked along at, at being a CFO. Um, but yeah, it, it was two days. Like, okay, I need to, I really need to put some significant effort into figuring out how to get out of this, how to change. So I invested mm -hmm. in some career counseling. <laughs> so I love that part of your journey. And one of the reasons I love it is I have a daughter who is almost 18. And, you know, if you think back to when you were that age, mm -hmm. and when I was that age, nobody really knows what the heck they want to do no. and what education path or career path they should choose. And yet, you know, we push these kids into a pipeline and, and they get excited and they embrace a path, et cetera, et cetera. But I honestly think that there should be a significant amount of exploration done before these kids just jump right in and take on all this debt. And it's, it's a, I'm going off on a tangent here, but it's a piece that's missing. Like For it's sure. a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. can talk about guidance counselors and all of that, but I love that you had the foresight to know, hey, I could go see a career counselor. Yeah, and ultimately that was also a Ken recommendation. Um, how Stop. I got yeah, totally. Oh my God. <laughs> the guy is everywhere. He really is. <laughs> so I don't remember how he knew of career joy. If he Ooh, had been following them, gotta write that down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if he had been following them through LinkedIn or 
um, their blog or anything along those lines. But he's like, yeah, you should check out Career Joy. I think they have offices in Ottawa and Toronto. And and sure enough, um, they did. They do. And it took me a good couple of months to get connected with this career counselor. She was going out on vacation. I had scheduling conflicts. Um, but eventually, once we did get connected, we worked together for, I want to say, eight or nine months. Now, that wasn't mm. weekly meetings. That was, all right, Kate, um, I'm giving you this homework to do for the next couple of weeks. Come see me in week three or week four, something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, and so I would go and and interview my folks about what work looked like or interview my friends about what skills they liked about me. Or <laughs> I had a whole battery of skills tests, those kind of formal tests that you take and they pop out like, you're really good at sales. That's not, not me. I am not really good at sales. <laughs> <laughs> or are you really good at um, engineering? Also not me. Why am I remembering the ones that I'm not good at? <laughs> Um, anyway, it was it was really helpful. Um, it took a long while for her and I to get on the same page, the career counselor and I to get on the same page to say, you are not just looking for a different department in corporate North America. You are actually looking for a wholesale change. And one of the things that she said to me was, and this might have been more towards the end, because I don't think she said this to discourage me at all. She says, I have a lot of optimism and hope for you. I get a lot of clients that come in and know that they need a change, but aren't willing to commit to some of the big things that you need to do to make a change. She says, I don't think you're like that. I think you really are going to kind of pursue what this change might look like. Thankfully, she gave me that vote of confidence because I think it was one of many mental safety nets that helped me uh, jump out of finance and into what I'm doing now. Wow. I am, I actually have goosebumps. It's because it is really important to have other people believe that you're not losing your marbles, that the instinct that you have, that something's awry with where you're at is, I mean, I, I really believe that it's critical. So ultimately in your connection with her, were you going through all of this while you were CFOing and yes. how much of a challenge was that to feel like, you know, you're putting in the commitment and responsibility to run the organization, but off, over on the side, you're exploring yeah. like, that's really not for me. And I'm still trying to figure my shit out. Yeah, absolutely. So it did feel two-faced at times um, because obviously I was not telling anyone, not my staff, not the people I reported to that I was doing this. So I would schedule meetings for like Friday afternoon or something like that. So um, my office was down at uh, Young and King and her office was up at Young and Shepherd. So I would try and schedule it as late in the day as possible so I could just sort of zoom off and and no one would really wonder where I was going. The beauty of being CFO, and I think I just didn't really realize this at the time, is that nobody really needed to wonder. No one really cared where I was going. No, no, I guess not. I guess (laughs) not. They just assume, oh, she's got a meeting off with someone, some vendor, some something, and then off she goes. Um, 
So that was more just mentally, one of the mentally challenging things to do. Um, But it did give me something else to focus on other than the fact that I was really stressed out about work. And I had massive imposter syndrome at, um, at the accounting firm that I was CFO for, like 32, really young, had not been as CFO, obviously, of, of anything before, um, but also hadn't worked in the back office of an accounting firm, which is completely different than working in the back office of a financial services firm. Um, mm-hmm. For anyone who's in accounting and finance and listening to me uh, or listening to us today, you're probably nodding along. I might not get into all the nitty gritty as to why that's not, not the same. But um, so there was all of that going on. I had kind of this career counseling going on. And one of the things that I was trying to do to just chill was I was running. I was also um, volunteering as a a learn to run coach at the running room. I was taking a travel writing course at George Brown. I was taking a photography course also at George Brown. Like I was just throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick and try and and chill out, which helped. So I, I ultimately made it through Let's see. I think not quite two years as CFO by the time I left, but I, I managed managed to to do it. And I ultimately decided I needed to go back to school for what I wanted to do. So as I'm working with the career counselor and taking the writing course and doing some more photography, I eventually got up the courage to say out loud, "Well, maybe what I really like to do is write or, or photograph for an outdoors magazine." Pinnacle being like a National Geographic, but maybe mm-hmm. like an outside magazine or Explore magazine here in Canada. And as I'm chatting with the career counselor about this, like, but I, a lot of that is freelance now, even back in 2011 when we were talking about this. And I, I think I need some outdoors skills to actually be able to be self-sufficient, be able to pitch the stories that I want to be able to pitch and actually get out there. But I didn't have a lot of outdoors skills. My folks are both from the Bronx. And while I grew up as an outdoorsy kid playing outside, I didn't know how to canoe. I didn't know anything about pitching a tent, starting a fire, anything along those lines. So I started looking for programs where maybe I could get some certifications or get some education. And almighty Google dropped the Outdoor Adventure Naturalist program at Algonquin College in my lap. I, I still have no idea how that actually just kind of manifested itself. It's Ken. <laughs> Probably. It all goes back to Ken. <laughs> yeah, he's orchestrating it all. <laughs> but like most Southern Ontarians, I had no idea where Pembroke was. So mm. <laughs> look at the map and I'm like, oh, it's 400 kilometers from, from Toronto. Like, well probably go to school during the week and still make it home for the weekends because here I am like my husband and I have a a condo a dog a life a mortgage Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't want to just kind of peace out and and leave him holding the bag while I'm figuring myself out Mm -hmm. so uh, I applied I got in I didn't tell my job about it so I think you usually find out about the programs from Ontario colleges in what, like February. I don't think I told them until August. <laughs> so nervous. <laughs> Was that going to be the official notice? Yeah. Like, thank you for taking me on as CFO, but by the way, my heart is calling me elsewhere. Yeah, it was. And Telling that to a bunch of career accountants felt a little like you were telling them that I was going off to run 
a circus or join the circus, I guess. Mm, Did they look at you funny? Were they like, what? You know, you have this, like a CFO is a very big deal, especially for the firm you were working for. Did they think you had lost it or? No one said that to my face. (laughs) No one said (laughs) that to my face, which was, which was nice. Um, So I don't know if maybe they knew I wasn't such a great fit for the role I was in Mm. um, or if, you know what, they were just kind of tied up with all of their own files and and clients and all of that to to worry about me. I'm not a partner. As a CFO of an accounting firm, I'm not one of the partners. I don't have a a financial stake in the firm. And so really, I'm like any one of the other staff, just a, a more senior level, obviously staff. So from that perspective, I think, I think maybe they just weren't, weren't really uh, worried about what my mm. future look like. <laughs> so no biggie. I uh, eventually gave my notice and, and said, thank you. And yeah, I, I went back to school. I love the dichotomy of what you pursued when you graduated high school. <laughs> with it up to I'm going back I'm going to learn outdoor skills and it's just it's the reverse dichotomy of what I did because I pursued music oh, <laughs> I have a music degree do you really I, I do I do That's and I, beautiful. I ended up in finance for a whole slew of reasons uh, Ken is not responsible for that <laughs> um and you know it's it's like I'm coming I'm circling back to the creative authentic part of who I am. And I think about the contrast of, you know, the world of numbers and regulators and deadlines and the responsibility of getting everything precise and right. It's still margin of errors really. Yeah. (laughs) It still is like a wee bit of a hangover for me. It's only been like a year and a half, but I still have that fear. Like what if I get something wrong? Yeah. And so for you to jump into that world, which is the natural world, it's messy, it's chaos, it's, you know, you you can't control the weather, you can't control half the things that can happen to you in the outdoors. Now, someone's going to prove me wrong, because yes, you can be prepared, you can have your GPS and your compass and your this, that and the other. But talk to me a little bit about the contrast of those two worlds. Yeah. So I would say when I went back to school, I mean, you're in a college program, right? So you get lots of people just out of high school or early twenties. And so there was the, holy cow, I feel sort of old, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. though I'm I'm maybe 34, I guess, when the program starts, but relatively speaking to everybody else, there's that kind of mental game that you're playing with. And then there's, yeah, I'm, I'm out learning how to whitewater raft on the Ottawa river. I have no paddling skills <laughs> whatsoever doing that, or I'm learning how to sea kayak, or I'm learning how to canoe on my 35th birthday. So there's the, the, all right, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other or one paddle stroke in front of the other and just learn how to do this. There were plenty of times, especially in that first term where I would call Russ, my husband and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm doing this. I am so out of my league. I'm uncomfortable. I'm dirty. I'm wet. (laughs) And I know I need to be here. 
and you say, yes, of course you need to be here. You need to, you need to stick this out and, and see if this is really what you want to be doing. Not if this is like your life mission or whatever, just, just stick it out, finish it and see, see how you feel at the end. So I'm glad I did. Um, I learned how to tie knots, which I'm not great at, but I can, I can put up a tarp. I learned how to cook for clients over an MSR whisper light stove. That is one of my favorite things to do while I'm out on trip. And I learned how to paddle and learned how to instruct paddling at the same time. And again, did not do that well, but the instructor said to me at the end of the course, if my eight-year-old were in the middle of the lake, would you be able to go get him and bring him back in safely? Yes. I'm like, thanks for passing me. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Did I learn to love winter? Yes. There are no bugs when you winter camp. It's amazing. And as long as you do have (laughs) the right sleeping bag and the right tent and the right gear, yeah, you can do it pretty comfortably. (laughs) And I learned how to navigate and all, all of that good stuff. So it felt like it felt like I had more control over that world, the natural world, than I did over um, figuring out derivatives in the financial services world. It's, oh, no. it's a, it was way more complicated in the, in the financial services and accounting world than I wanted to spend time learning and diving into is what it came down to. Whereas I really enjoy figuring out how to paddle more efficiently or, um, guide trips, keep people comfortable, learn what they're interested in, have really cool conversations. At the time, though, I I do need to say this, at the time, I was not interested in guiding. Yes, that's what they were teaching me how to do, but I was really focused all the way through the program about getting these skills so that I could be self-sufficient as a freelancer for a magazine. And partway through Um, one of the instructors says, Hey, one of my friends runs uh, a paddling magazine or at the time, I guess it was for paddling magazines. I'm happy to make a connection. So I I did end up working for a magazine a little bit in my last term of school. And then for a few months afterwards, so I I got a taste of what that was like, um, mostly on the marketing side. I wasn't doing a a bunch of writing and photography, the environment itself for that particular magazine wasn't a great fit for me. So I didn't spend longer than six months there, but around the same time I was getting connected into wild women expeditions, which is a, an all women's outdoor adventure company. I think also during that last term of school as well. So I was doing like a little bit of social media for both organizations and the magazine and for wild women expeditions. And when the magazine ended up not working out, Wild Women Expeditions kind of came back into my life and was like, hey, we need some support in the back office. I'm like, you know what? Great, let's do it. So did a little bit of marketing, did a little bit of um, finance, getting like actual systems set up. So I was creating things, which was interesting, learning all about their trips. They have some epic adventures all over oh, the they world. Oh, they do. It's do. A, a beautiful lineup. If you haven't seen them, definitely go check them out while well, Lumen Expeditions. And I must have been there, I don't know, not quite a year when um, one of the other uh, trip managers said to me, hey, um, our usual canoe guide just released her first album and she is going out on tour to promote her album. Uh, would you like to fill in. I know you've got all of these certifications. Would you like to fill in um, for the couple of canoe trips that she can't make? 
like, sure, why not? <laughs> I was still under the impression that guides were these sort of super outgoing kind of life of the party, um, always on kinds of people. So I was a little nervous about saying yes. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll figure it out once I'm out there. Yeah, so yeah I have a question on that. Oh yeah, go sorry for to, it. I'm sorry to inject. <laughs> Is that because you are inherently more introverted or did you feel you had to be that archetype switched on person? Can you just elaborate on that? Sure. I am more introverted. I can mm-hmm. be shy, which I, I know is separate from introverted, but I am also, um, yeah, highly, highly introverted, do better one-on-one um, mm-hmm. and definitely need a lot of time after being in a group situation to regroup, which I think was the other reason why the the college atmosphere felt so intense. (laughs) Yep. I get that. A lot of togetherness. So yeah, I thought, I thought maybe my personality wasn't necessarily going to be the one that clients would be looking for. And I found out otherwise, and I found out otherwise really fast. Um, That first canoe trip that I took I guess I shadowed um, a couple of veteran guides first. They had like 40 years of experience between them. And then uh, I went out with another guide on another trip. And they're small groups, um, eight people, eight clients maybe. And there's plenty of time to get to know either the woman in the boat with you or somebody around the campfire or somebody's going to come and help you um, sous chef dinner. And so there was a lot of time for one-on-one conversations and nobody needed me to stay up um, telling stories around the campfire. They were more than happy to put the campfire out at the end of the evening if they wanted to stay up. And so if I wanted to go into my tent and chill and unwind at the end of the day, I I did. And I often did. And I still often do that. So um, I fell in love with it really quickly. Trips were maybe four days long and you get four days out in nature. (laughs) How amazing is this? (laughs) That is just so incredible that you had almost an equally uh, opposite but compelling response to your first couple of days as CFO. You know, you had that immediate rush of this does not feel right in my body and my spirit. Yep. And then you're out in the in nature, leading some clients in a canoe and you have that exact response in a, this feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I just, <laughs> it's, it's the moment we all long for, you know, for sure. For sure. And we might all have that response more regularly, but we need to pay attention to ourselves. And I ignored myself for a really, really long time. So I finished the program in 2013. So I've been doing a number of things since then. And I would say this career change really did help me tune in to what feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, why are you still doing it? <laughs> just, just trust that the right thing is going to, to come around next. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a huge uh, turning point for you. And at this point in your journey, so you had done all of the accounting, you'd done the CFOing thing, you had gone to the career counseling. Well, before even that, you were just a regular person curiously inquiring other people like, yes, how do you feel? I, I love that step in your journey. Yeah. So what happened next? So 
couple of things happen around the same time. Algonquin College, where I'd gone to school, put out an email blast or a Facebook blast saying, hey, alum, if you've got skills or classroom skills and that you want to share with our outdoor programs, let us know. We're rejigging the programs. We're looking for classroom teachers and skills instructors. Again, with the not being a show woman, I, with great trepidation, emailed the one coordinator and said, I'm, I'm interested in teaching. Um, if the gentleman who used to teach the business courses to the Outdoor Adventure Naturalist students has retired because he was about that age as I was um, going through the program, you know that's my wheelhouse. I, I would be interested in doing that. Essentially got the job without even interviewing. They knew who I was. They knew what I was interested in. I did have to talk with the chair at the time, all of that, um, just so that they could make sure my qualifications all, all matched up. So I started teaching back in the program that I had went through. And not quite at the same time, but roughly the same time, Wildman Expeditions, international expeditions were just exploding. Um, women were going to Iceland to ride horses and Peru to hike the uh, to Machu Picchu and um, to, I don't know, uh, New Zealand to hike. And so they were starting to move away from these smaller four-day trips. And so they decided to get out of flatwater canoeing altogether. And that was a bit of a bummer to me because I was starting to really enjoy guiding. It made up um, a, a nice little chunk of my income during the year. And I said to um, the trip manager, the same one who had asked me if I could fill in for guiding, hey, do you mind if I open up my own company and, and just offer flat water canoe trips? I don't want to compete in any other way with you. And um, I would just like to be able to continue offering these trips because they were still filling up and selling out. It was just the logistics of them were quite onerous for, um, for the company. And they said, no, go ahead. We're not going to be doing it. And so in 2018, um, I launched the Quiet Guiding Co., but didn't really like this was kind of a soft launch. It was like, get the name, incorporate. And then I really started in earnest in 2019. I love it. I'm just rooting for you. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm a couple years behind you in terms of my own reinvention. Um, but you have actually, you have led some adventures and, received incredible feedback yes. and I even love the name and I'll put some notes down and, and some links in the show notes it's it's just the quiet guiding company like a return back to yourself absolutely you know and, I and that friends for that name <laughs> thank oh you. really yeah thank you Lynn Elliott for that name as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to call it um I should probably even back up and say, as I was trying to figure out what the theme of this company would be, some couple of people said to me, can you offer trips for introverts? <laughs> yeah, who better to offer <laughs> outdoor adventures for introverts than me? So yes, that's how the Quiet Guiding Co. came to be. <laughs> I think that's incredible because it's also a market of people that would hesitate to put themselves out there for those same reasons that you experienced, you know, that other imposter syndrome, like, well, I don't really have any business going out into nature. And am I going to have to sing Kumbaya with <laughs> totally people and drink <laughs> beer and wear a bandana and all of that, you yeah. know, just the stereotypes. Yeah. 
I I love it. There is my message to anyone listening to this is there is a place for everyone in the world. Absolutely. And if you're not all vim and haha and rah rah adventure and you want a, mo- a more intimate personal experience on a smaller scale with like beautifully curated and led, you have to check out the quiet guiding company. I am coming on one of your adventures. Yay. I just have to have some balls land in my life so that I can actually make some concrete plans. For so sure. I just want to be mindful of our time. So the, the path that you've been on is, has not been a straight line. Not at all. <laughs> not <And> at all. <laughs> I appreciate and love that because no offense to people who trod the straight line path, but it, it's not, it's not as exciting. It really you know, <laughs> it's, it's really a huge leap of faith to just kind of trust that, well, if this doesn't work out, then maybe, you know, it will lead to something else that's even closer to where I'm supposed to be. So what I'd like to know is the, how you have managed the risk and the energy you've put into not only establishing the quiet guiding co, but just continuing to trust that this is all supposed to be like, what are you doing to support yourself? Yeah, that's a a great question. And I will say I've got a number of privileges um, that I'm most grateful for. Um, My husband, Russ has a stable, as stable as anything is in these days job. And so while I'm off in Pembroke teaching or off in Killarney guiding or wherever I might be, he's home taking care of the dog. I don't have kids and um, making sure the mortgage is paid, making sure we have groceries, kind of all of that. So from a financial perspective, while my uh, salaries or my incomes are a little more precarious, um, his, are, his are quite solid. So that's a, a big mental weight off of my shoulders. Um, the other thing that I do is that I speak with a therapist every couple of weeks. And again, this is a privilege and I've got great benefits through, through Russ's work. And um, so I'm a hugely anxious human being. That is just who I am. So uh, I can't afford to talk to her every week, but every two weeks I do. I, I chat with her about all things work um, and she helps me kind of see the bigger picture. Not that Russ isn't great at doing that as well, but sometimes it's just nice to have that um, slightly different perspective, less personal connection perspective, just to to bring yourself back into perspective, not to use that word so many times. Um, so I do that. And I have recently in pandemic times, uh, just started running again. So I took about a decade off from running. Um, I didn't have energy for it. My knees didn't have energy for it. Um, but I've started that again and I'm remembering how much it helped my mental health back in the financial services and public accounting days. And um, so just having that kind of physical release while I'm here in this in the city and can't be kind of further than Toronto at this point has been a, a massive help for um, my mental health and just kind of managing my anxiety at the same time. It's it's been dark days and have definitely not <laughs> have have not I guess what am I trying to say? Dark days have definitely been around. It was the worst right after I finished the program and I had no clear definition as to what was happening next. Um, and so the the therapist 
at that point was massively helpful in just managing my um, my mental health at that point. And just now she's like a, almost like a business coach without being a business coach for me. <laughs> and there are days probably again, closer to when I finished the program where I'm like, Oh, it's really hard not having that like five or six figure salary anymore. Um, we need to be really careful about the vacations that we take all of that. Um, I don't have any thoughts about going back anymore. Um, I did. Oh, back then. I'm so glad you're saying that. Yeah. I don't really think about it anymore. Now I've got a lovely portfolio of work, right? I've got a somewhat stable part-time uh, college teaching job where I get to share information and I get to use all of those business skills that I had have. Um, and I've got this kind of seasonal business where again, I get to use a lot of my business skills. I am all into my accounting system. <laughs> I'm the one bookkeeping, I'm the one, you know, submitting my taxes, kind of all of that. Um, I'm also the one, I think I said, I don't know at what minute mark that I'm not great at sales, but I am also the one getting clients on my trips. So I am, I am all, all hats for this business, which has been awesome for teaching and has been awesome for my own growth as well. So those are some of the things that I'm, I'm doing to kind of keep myself happy, sane, in terms of, I think you also asked, trusting that the next thing, you know, that the next thing is going to be better. It's just to keep trying. Mm-hmm. I used to get really discouraged um, right at the end of the program as I was trying things and they didn't quite fit. I was, I'm idealistic, like oh, mm-hmm. I'm super disappointing that that didn't work out. But every time I've thrown something out to the universe, something even better has come back. And so I'm now trusting that that's what's going to happen. I just need to keep putting myself out there. I am going to make my daughter listen to this (laughs) because it's, it is so true. And I myself am experiencing that we'll call it sort of an experimental phase where like, you have to be comfortable with not knowing that you, like you don't actually have the answers until you, you try and you can't be expected to know what's going to feel good and what's going to land with other people unless you do the, the difficult work of being all right with people saying, well, that doesn't interest me or, you know, and, and that is very challenging for a lot of people. And I, I mean, I think it's why many stay stuck on the path that they're on. And, you know, there's the whole, like, there's definitely feel good reasons for keeping that container of security and stability. Like I'm not knocking any of that. Nope. You know, I, I, I do miss that, yeah. but I want to circle back to your comment about you no longer have the thought of reversing back to your old world because I still, um, even a couple of weeks ago, I was job searching and the, yeah. yeah, I just got caught in this rabbit hole of expectation because I'm used to being measured in yeah. production and um, sales and income and all of that yeah. stuff. And I literally have nothing on the table that I yeah. can hold on to other than some hopes and some directions and yeah. all those things. So I I started going down that rabbit hole and 
the the feeling in my stomach like I had a job almost in my hand and it was like oh wow available and they're like yeah no it's yours if you want it no yeah and but I I just I couldn't do it because I thought well I I'm too soon I'm too I'm just at the beginning like why turn around now you know I already yeah. gave up so much so you got to just keep going how many so how many years has it been would you say from that moment that you gave your notice as a CFO? Yep. Uh, nine years this summer. Wow. Yep. Kate, <laughs> see, that's a journey. And for all the people that, you know, some, some people will say, Oh, it must be nice to have your own company. Oh, it must be nice to be able to just take off and go into nature. And people don't realize what it takes to, get to the place that you're at and you know you are still imbued with risk and oh absolutely you know you are still also on the cusp of starting your company but absolutely but you're doing it and it's the iceberg thing they don't see that it took all of these other steps and you know the kens of the world and the things that just like the whole freelance writing thing you decided well that's not going to be enough for me you know it's not it's too wishy-washy yeah, I just, absolutely. And I love it. It requires a fair amount of sales <laughs> of yeah. myself, which I was not interested in trying to figure out your point about your, what you're used to defining success as your productivity as is a massively important point for anyone thinking about doing this. If you want to make a change, and if you do make that change, you also need to change how you intend to measure success and productivity. And oh. maybe that's writing it out and, and ticking off the, these are the things, um, these are my key metrics for all of you numbers folks um, that I'm going to measure my success by. Yeah, you're still going to feel like, oh, I haven't done enough for a little while. Who am I kidding? I still feel like that. If you're of a certain kind of energy, you're probably always going to feel like that, but you're going to have different key metrics that you're going to track on this new path than you did from your old path, whatever that old path may have been. <laughs> it's very true. And I do have to remind myself of that because the one of the roadblocks from taking this job was losing the freedom to try. Right. You know, when you're in the box, you're in the cubicle and sitting at a desk 10, 11 hours a day, it's not very soul infusing. And no. this is no offense to people that love that. And yeah. it, it's just, so it is definitely a trade-off. And I think it's about becoming more comfortable with the whole notion of exploring and uncertainty. And, and also for me personally, just getting to this age where you kind of wake up and realize like life is short. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how okay. many people do you know that have gotten cancer or, you know, just something terrible has happened in their life. And yeah, you know, we don't, we don't know that tomorrow is actually going to come. We assume right. it will come. So right. there are no guarantees for sure. No. I would also say just while you're, you're pausing there. Yep. You've, done this at the start of the pandemic. Right. And <laughs> I know I was like, same, what? Same for me, really, I had one kind of solid season before pandemic. And then last season was a pandemic season. And this season will be a pandemic season. So we don't actually know 
what our lives might look like and and what our current interests are under more normal circumstances. So I I keep working with that. (laughs) It's true. My dad said to me the other day, there is no library book or course that's going to teach you how to get through a pandemic while simultaneously deciding that you're going to leave a 15, 16 year career and start something new. (laughs) It's it's just the book hasn't been written. So (laughs) writing the book. Yes. Good. I'm doing it. And <laughs> there are days I, I was telling my husband this because um, I'm lucky too. I have a supportive guy in my life. And uh, we joke that I have like an emergencies only letter I wrote to myself. Nice. And I wrote it back in, I think, October of 2019. And I, I knew I was leaving my career and I was starting to tell my clients and I wanted, I just had this idea of knowing that I was going to feel discouraged. And so I wanted to write a bunch of words while I was feeling all like hopped up on energy. Yeah. And (laughs) uh, it's, it sits on my desk and it says, do not open (laughs) unless it's an emergency. And I've held that thing more in the last six weeks. And I've hovered over it with my little letter opener that I'm like, no, this is this is not bad. I mean, I haven't, I haven't even really started. I'm still alive. Yep. You know? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, good for you. <laughs> so I guess there's two last questions that I have for you. Sure. Um, the first one is you have been on this journey and you yourself have been evolving. Yes. So actually it's, it's two parts. How would you say you have evolved as Kate? like inside from mm-hmm. being on this journey. Yeah. And can you look back and think how you might be feeling had you stayed in the previous world? Yeah. So I think how I've evolved and the biggest thing that I've noticed about myself is that I have a lot more comfort with uncertainty. I know we've we've kind of talked a lot about that over the course of the last hour, but but that is for me the one thing that I've noticed most about myself. Yeah, I will verbalize a lot of anxiety about a given situation, but ultimately I'm not jumping back to something more comfortable. Um, I'm waiting to see what that answer is. I'm waiting for that uncertainty to become certain um, in a certain (laughs) certain sense. Uh, In terms of what life would have been like if I had stayed, I think in order to stay sane, I would have had to continue doing um, running room coaching or courses or, um, I don't know, certificates, some of those things. I'm not sure I would have ever made it back to the outdoors. No one in my circle of people up here is particularly outdoorsy. Um, In fact, Russ is eternally grateful that I have gone into this career so that I don't make him go camping with me. Um, so I think, I think I would have missed out on a lot and I wouldn't have known that, but I I think I would have at least known that there was probably a a pretty big hole in my, in my life. Uh, And I just wouldn't have been able to define or understand even what that looked like. Um, I'd be massively stressed out and probably drinking a bottle of wine a night. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yep. Been there. Yeah. So I think that's that's what I don't miss at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the freedom that comes from being able to define your own path is the trade-off for leaving behind security and you know the you can call it the slog and I'm not implying that anyone who has a nine-to-five job or sits at a desk finds it a slog that is not what I'm saying at all Um, but it's for people who know in their hearts that something is not right in the state of Denmark they're just they have this feeling and they're scared what advice would you give anyone trust your gut for sure um if you've got that feeling there's a reason why and then start exploring things on the side don't give Mm -hmm. up a nine to five if you don't if you aren't sure if you don't have that kind of mental or financial safety net try a class or try volunteering it does mean giving up or restructuring excuse me some of your time Mm -hmm. that's that will change, but it might, whatever activity that you decide to try that might spark either love for your life outside of, of work and be enough um, to make your purpose kind of be what it is outside of work. And you can keep that nine to five to sort of fund whatever that purpose is, or it might be enough of a spark to be like, you know what, this is something I want to be able to pursue as, as income. I think the other thing I would say to that is, and this is something that I've realized only more recently, not every hobby needs to be a moneymaker and have activities that you really love doing just for the sake of doing them. I am learning how to draw. I just want to run. Obviously I'm never going to make money running, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I don't need to become a world famous watercolorist. Um, I just, I want to do it so that I've got um, a cool nature journal to bring back from a trip. It's a personal memento, not a, not a client selling thing. Yeah. Have hobbies that are just hobbies that don't need to be money makers, but try a few things if you're looking at um, getting out of the work that you do now. I think that's really critical advice and it, it's something I've noticed is missing, especially with a lot of working women is their own personal understanding of what joy is for them. Yeah. You know, it would just become so conditioned to be on this little treadmill and chasing the dangling carrot. And we um, have responsibilities and people in our lives and taking that time to find out what it is that lights you up is there should be no shame in that. It's our Mm -hmm. responsibility ability to enjoy our lives because nobody else can do it for us. Absolutely. And, and think about, like you're modeling good things for those of you who have children, you are modeling good things yeah. for your kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, my own daughter said to me the other day, like, Oh, surgeons make so much money. And I just wanted to gently shake her because <laughs> I mean, if you're yes. just doing, if you think that that's the path you want, just because of money, like, I'll tell you right now, there are far more poignant things you'll come across that are going to matter to you than just making a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Well, this has been exceptional. I'm very grateful for your time and I am a few steps behind you in my own reinvention journey, but I feel, I feel, (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, it's, you know, it's, it is less lonely to know that there are, there are plenty of other risk takers in the world, but just this very specific quiet guiding company that you've started really speaks to me. So tell us where to find you. So my website is thequietguidingcompany.com. 
And you can find me on Facebook, The Quiet Guiding Company, Twitter, and Instagram for social medias. I think that's, that's about it. That's where you can find me. And please, if you do have any questions or are going through your own career change, um, you can email me. My email address is, is in lots of those spots. So I'm more than happy to, to chat career changes with anyone who might be feeling a little stuck. Thank you so much, Kate. This is fabulous. Thank you, Sam. I'm glad we had a chance to do this this morning. That was Kate Ming-Sun, founder of The Quiet Guiding Co., and another fellow reinventor and outdoor enthusiast, a girl after my own heart. I hope you found some inspirational gems in our conversation. And if you'd like to connect with either of us about your own journeys, don't be shy. We would love to hear from you. You can find Kate at thequietguidingcompany.com and me at shewalkstheWalk.com. If you enjoyed this episode, drop us a comment or like wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you don't need to let anyone or anything dictate how you live your life. You can walk your own road to happiness.